I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. When you think of a Canadian, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Maybe a hockey player? Back the other way and another player down as the puck goes into the net. Maybe Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? We have an ambitious innovation agenda as we realize that revitalizing our economy... Or perhaps another Justin. Is it too late now to say sorry? But when you think of a Canadian, do you ever think of an Indigenous person? Well... You probably should. In a country of nearly 36 million people, more than 1.4 million of those identify as indigenous. And one of those folks is Ryan McMahon. I'm an Anishinaabe comedian, writer, and media maker, uh, originally from Treaty 3 territory in uh, northwestern Ontario, right above northern Minnesota. And um, yeah, I talk, write, yell, and record for a living. Ryan is also the founder of Indian and Cowboy, what he calls the world's only indigenous podcast network. We are a listener-supported network, much the same as NPR. Um, We are sort of a 360-degree answer to 500 years of having our voice uh, silenced, and we're taking our our stories back and making it uh, digital. Indian and Cowboy currently features nine podcasts in its roster covering topics from the intersection of Native and Black cultures, colonialism in sci-fi movies, and Indigenous connections to the land. Ryan's own show, Red Man Laughing, is the most downloaded podcast in the Indian and Cowboy stable. Our right to hunt, fish, harvest, and trap when it intersects with settlers' ability to enjoy their summer cottages is a major controversy in this country. It's one that needs to be sorted out ASAP because our hunting and fishing rights are upheld. And your summer home? Well, isn't it nice? I'm Lauren Ober from WAMU and NPR. This is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of. And we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. And this week, we're giving thanks for our Canadian podcast friends, because Monday is Thanksgiving in Canada. And frankly, I'll take any excuse to celebrate an extra Thanksgiving. Thank you very much. And we thought that was the perfect excuse to showcase some of our favorite Canadian podcasters, including Ryan McMahon, who's using the medium to spread Indigenous stories far and wide. You know, we're just really excited by the medium itself and the opportunity to discover our potential to our stories in that medium is is our is our drug. Part of the reason for that is podcasting's relative accessibility. Basic equipment isn't expensive, and for now at least, independent podcasters can still put their shows on the same platforms as big media companies and get access to advertising dollars. You know, to make a Hollywood movie, um, you need a, a sugar daddy and a couple hundred million dollars um, inside of a very closed system. What we're saying is, you know, we've turned to the internet specifically, podcasting as one of the main tools uh, to empower ourselves. And that's exactly what Indian and Cowboy is trying to do, not just in Canada, but all over the world. Ryan says as the network expands, he wants to spotlight indigenous stories from around the globe. 
So we are giving that space to, uh, to everyone to discover what Indigenous existence actually is all about. We'll check out more of Indian and Cowboy in a bit. But first, we're going to turn our attention from new media to somewhat older media. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, or the CBC, has been a stalwart of Canadian news, information and entertainment for more than 80 years. In that time, CBC Radio Canada has built a strong foundation of audio, storytelling and drama. One of the network's newest shows is a modern iteration of that legacy for the digital age. From CBC, this is Love Me. And I'm Lou. I hate making promises. I never do it. Because they're just too easy to break. Today's stories are about people trying their best to keep their promises. Love Me is hosted by Lou Olkowski and is the creation of longtime audio collaborators Crystal Duhame and Mira Burt-Wintonic. The show explores the messiness of human relations through nonfiction narratives, as well as the occasional fictional tale. Producers Crystal and Mira, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So let's talk about your CBC show, Love Me, um, which mm-hmm. is soon to be in its second season. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys say it's it's basically stories about the messiness of human relationships. And I wonder, what does that mean to you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it kind of started as just an exploration of um, what's going on behind closed doors between people. Because, like, there's, like, a facade that people present uh, to the world of how things are going or what their relationships are like. And then there's always something darker kind of lurking beneath the surface. And we were curious to kind of poke around at that and just have an excuse to ask people very personal questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of almost as a way to make ourselves feel better about our own, like, <laughs> dysfunctional relationships and, <laughs> and just getting a sense that that's actually really the norm and that you know it's not something you need to like be hard on yourself for now what are the types of stories that you're you're trying to tell in love me because obviously i mean relationships take many different forms and all of them can be Mm -hmm. messy so we definitely wanted to steer clear of just like having it be branded like a show about dating or uh romantic relationships because we feel like that there are already other shows that do that and they do it quite well so we wanted to explore like all kinds of relationships meaning like familial relationships or relationships even with like say animals or friends <laughs> um uh sometimes objects i think like the the most impressive thing that i took away last season from it was uh that even though that we were we were exploring these quite dark stories and a lot of a lot of people were telling us stories about dealing with some sort of tragedy, um, they always came came at, out at the end like feeling very hopeful about mm-hmm. their their outlook on things. And I think that we're always looking for that that kind of reflection at the end of the story yeah. that will kind of like help us all kind of like reorient ourselves and like pull our pull our sleeves up and get back in there into <laughs> into the game of relationships. Right. The one that I think of is about the nurse who um, treated the man who came in after a motorcycle accident. Mm-hmm. A year and a half ago, I was working in our small hometown. Uh, I was working in our hospital. We got a call, an ambulance call for two victims of a motor vehicle collision. I started to do my head-to-toe assessment, just like I learned in school. At the top, you know, the patient had obviously suffered trauma to the head and was unrecognizable. Their head and and facial features were quite swollen. Um, And as I inched my way down, I kind of saw, you know, there was quite a bit of lung trauma. There was 
uh, several breaks to the leg, breaks to the hand. And as I was kind of going over all the injuries, I started to feel like there was something that I was missing. There was something obvious that I was missing, but I just couldn't seem to put my finger on it. And I kind of took a step back and and realized that I recognized the clothing that the patient was wearing. And that's when I realized that it was my fiance. It was Jason. Yeah, so, yeah, she, this woman had reached out to me saying she, you know, stands by him and she still loves him and but he's a different person just because of the brain injury like he just his personality is different so it's like relearning how to connect with her fiance that she does end up marrying like in the hospital you know I I watched him during the day practicing to put the ring on my finger and practicing to say I do and I saw the effort he put into it and I, I I knew that he knew what he wanted and he was willing to work for it And so when the day of our wedding came, uh, we got married in the hospital, uh, in the little chapel downstairs. And when the time came for him to say, I do, he said it really loud and clear. And everybody in the room just kind of sighed with relief because it was everybody's way of knowing like, yeah, like this is really what he wants. It was just kind of surprising to hear someone just say like, no, like I, when I, the proposal when I said I I I will marry you, it, that was like her commitment, and that was like the most important thing for her. Yeah, was staying true to her word regardless of what had changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they have a kid now, and uh, <laughs> right, oh. you know, I don't know. It made me think, like, is that something I would be able to do? Actually, that's one sort of thread mm-hmm. I think with a lot of your stories is that I, as a listener, was thinking, um, could I do that? Could I be that person? What would I do in that situation? Mm-hmm. And I think one that one that came to mind was um, the woman who had a best friend who she had never met before. So this is a story about two women who meet online. Um, I think they were in a writing contest or a writing group or something like that. And so they slowly begin this phone relationship where they talk to each other every single night. Kate always picks up. She's always home. And this is because one of the first things she ever told me, she said she was circus freak fat. She's housebound. She lives in a house in Louisiana that she inherited from her parents. Both her parents were hoarders. So she lives surrounded by giant piles of stuff. And about six years ago, two years before we met, her health deteriorated and it got hard to walk. So she left her job at the power company, cashed out her retirement, and basically went home to die. She couldn't even take out her own garbage. Like, every so often she would order pizza. She could only eat food that delivered. And when the pizza guy came, he would take her trash can to the curb. And then the next time she ordered something off Amazon, the UPS delivery guy would bring the garbage can back up from the curb. In a way, it was like an exercise in selflessness. Like, she had to recognize that the value of the friendship for the the housebound woman was that mm-hmm. um, she didn't need anything from the other friend on the other end of the line. Which... And in fact, she was often the one helping that other friend yeah, through breakups. Right. And so she was giving her, it was like giving her a gift to not help her and to allow her to be the person that like right. could help this other woman. 
Yeah, and I think that's like a good example of one of, of the kinds of stories that we like to do where like the conventions of a relationship are kind of turned on their head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they're not all like, all the stories aren't super serious. I found myself laughing out loud a couple of times at the Morro Bay incident. Yeah, I mean, I'm an only child. So like, I guess that one... I'm always kind of fascinated by like sibling dynamics and um, this woman who's the middle child in her family wrote us about this this road trip where 20 years later or 15 years later and they're still um, really this it's like this weight that hangs over them about how badly they all acted on this road trip when really when you hear about it you're like okay that's not a big deal like you guys were just having a bad a bad day. At some point on the drive home my older sister Emily and I got into a fight. My little sister Ping remembers it best. I remember you having this, like, corner of the car, of the Honda that was covered in embroidery thread and your sewing basket. And maybe we also had some other crafts going on, but there was only one pair of embroidery scissors. Apparently, my older sister and I both felt we desperately needed those scissors right at the same moment. And something in us just snapped. And there was yelling, and and I remember Dad getting really mad and getting into that really enraged voice and face contortion that he can bring himself to. So I wonder if, if in the process of curating all these stories and and um, and producing them, that you've learned anything yourselves about um, the ways in which we relate to each other. That's why we have to do a second season because we didn't learn anything. <laughs> <laughs> didn't learn enough yet. We're still figuring it out. Um, I guess we learned about the power of like making yourself vulnerable, maybe like we all of our, uh, most of our guests, like who are sharing these like very intense stories were like just so generous in making themselves vulnerable and, and sharing these emotional struggles that they were going through. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you'll notice that we're too chicken to put ourselves in the stories. <laughs> Just mining. We don't oh, make yeah. any no. appearances. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering is you you both have a have a long working relationship. You've been collaborators for a long time. And I wonder um, when has your own relationship gotten messy? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Making radio is generally pretty messy, I would say. Some days obviously are better than others where you kind of like feel like you're butting heads a lot. But then obviously you get to share in in the breakthroughs and the kind of like process of creation, which is quite unique um, with another person. So we're pretty lucky in that aspect. And I don't know what else. I haven't had any total meltdowns, I don't think. (laughs) (laughs) Just little ones. Little ones, yeah. (laughs) So no, like, no, like um, the band is breaking up moments. (laughs) Not yet. Crystal Duhame and Mira Burt-Wintonic are the producers behind the CBC podcast Love Me. To find out more about their show, check out biglisten.org. Now, remember our pal Ryan McMahon from the top of the show? He runs the indigenous podcast network Indian and Cowboy. Ryan's home base is in Winnipeg, Manitoba, but the shows that he has helped bring to life come from all over Canada. And one of those shows is called Stories from the Land. It's a storytelling podcast about Native people's connection to the earth. Hunting moose, for example. So I'm walking up towards the moose, and no joke, no joke, I shot it straight through the eyeball. It was an instant death. In, like, 
that's where the term bullseye comes from, I guess, because I shot it straight through the eye. I'm looking at a couple. I already know who are animal lovers. I'm sorry. That was 15-year-old Adrian Dent, who is a Kitagon ZB Anishinaabe from northwestern Ontario. Another one of Indian and Cowboys shows, The Henceforward, focuses on the relationship between indigenous and black communities. This episode features Kyle Mays, a black Saginaw Anishinaabe academic who studies the intersection of native identity and hip-hop culture. I do these talks often and people go, so there are... You mean there are native hip-hop artists? What they're asking is, one, native people are still around, and two, they're due, they're not, like, you know, you know, reproducing and feeding into the white imagination. Right. That's what right. they're asking. Ryan McMahon says indigenous media makers have had to battle against white narratives forever, and that can make it hard to be seen. To me, the invisibility piece and that reality, I think, is the um, most painful thing. We live in poverty. We are quite literally invisible in our own homelands. And using podcasting is just one way to show people that indigenous communities in North America and beyond are still here. We're going to take a quick break now, but stick with us because later in this show, we're going to talk to Jonathan Goldstein, one of Canada's most delightful and eloquent exports. That uh, <laughs> feel like such a, a mincing, uh, mealy-mouthed, uh, yeah, good to be here. But first, we're going to talk to the flamethrower of Canadian media, Jesse Brown. We are a nation that exists because people needed beaver pelts and, you know, lumber and maple syrup. You know, we were basically, you know, the Hudson's Bay Company. We were started by a department right, store. Right. <laughs> That's coming up in a sec. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. This is Paige Severson connecting with you from St. Paul, Minnesota. So podcasts have changed my life, and I want to thank you for being an advocate and guide to great material. So thank you to The Big Listen. Uh, the show I'm recommending is called Venerable. And venerable means worthy of honor, love, and respect by virtue of wisdom and experience. Though all people are venerable at their core, sometimes we may forget And there are times where we benefit from encouragement to live worthy of the honor, love, and respect that each of us deserves. So, again, this is Paige connecting with you from St. Paul, Minnesota, and I am recommending the podcast Venerable. Thank you so much, and keep doing what you do. All right. Peace and love. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and if you're like Paige from St. Paul and you have a podcast that changed your life, don't keep it to yourself. Let the whole world know. Ring up the pod line at 202-885-POD1 and give us the scoop. We need some life-changing gems around here. So this episode of The Big Listen, we've been celebrating our neighbors to the north and the great podcast they make. And one of Canada's most prominent podcasters is Jesse Brown, host of the show Canada Land. Jesse is mostly a media critic these days, but he's probably best known for his investigative reporting work that led to the arrest and prosecution of former CBC personality Gian Gameshi. Gian Gameshi, a celebrity. Against him, three women claiming assault. 
held me up against the wall by my throat, and he slapped me with an open hand. He was on trial. On Canada Land, Jesse explores media and politics through a Canadian lens and pulls zero punches. Jesse Brown, host of Canada Land, welcome to The Big Listen. Thanks for having me. All right, so what is Canada Land? Obviously, uh, Canada, the country we think of as, you know, a place with free health care for all. But what is what is Canada Land specifically? Uh, Canada Land is, is our best attempt to refute the notion that Canadians are polite, nice people. It's... Uh, <laughs> It is a company. It's it's a podcast network. Uh, it's a news service. It started as as my podcast, where I I found working in Canadian media to be this stultifying, even incestuous, uh, small industry where nobody dared to call BS on one another, or or even to do the basic journalism about journalism that Americans are used to through on the media mm-hmm. or through you know the Daily Show or Gawker at the time or. You know, at the time there was David Carr writing media criticism sure. for the Times. It was just understood that media, like any any institution, uh, any, any industry, needed that scrutiny. But in Canada, we all know each other, and you know we're all married to each other, right. and we're all afraid of not getting a job. Anyhow, so I, I I decided to kind of break that Omerta code and start podcasting about the media. Um, so so you're saying that Canadians aren't all nice and polite? I feel like I've been duped. Oh, we've we've snowed you completely. Oh. We completely fooled Americans. <laughs> we do. We do have this. And you actually talk about it in a recent episode of your show. We are not the country we think we are. Canada is not Canada. We cannot square our conception of ourselves as a nice country, a civilized country, a progressive country with the way that we have treated indigenous people and with the way that we treat indigenous people right now. To have communities that don't have drinkable water communities with 70% plus unemployment rates, communities with double-digit youth suicide rates, communities where people make less money than anywhere else, but where food costs more than everywhere else, communities that by every measurable statistic are comparable to the most destitute failed states in the world, a full-on human rights crisis in the words of the United Nations. You just can't be a country that has dozens of places like that and also consider yourself a decent modern nation. It is incoherent. So no, we are not the country we think we are. You know, you you say that so Canada always gets held up as this shining example of all that is good and right in the world, but clearly you're not buying it. I mean, nobody used to think of Canada that way. We were just, we are a nation that exists because people needed beaver pelts and, <laughs> you know, lumber and maple syrup. You know, we were basically, you know, the Hudson's Bay Company. We were started by a department right, store. Right. <laughs> and the cities are just sort of an afterthought that, that we would actually have, you know, society here it was just sort of like after we plunder the earth, then maybe we need some place to sleep. Um, so, that you know, that is what Canada was. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just sort of this vassal state of Britain. And, and even as it came into its own, it was never quite as dramatic. I mean, you guys fought for your independence. We asked nicely for permission mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to sort of become independent. So it, it, it wasn't until Prime Minister Trudeau, Pierre Trudeau, came up with this idea of Canada as this multicultural haven. I mean, you know, our multiculturalism is, is an accident like anybody else's. We had horrible... Horrible laws, uh, uh, head tax on Chinese immigrants. We turned away uh, escapees of the Holocaust. You know, like like a lot of countries that later turned it into their ethos, we brought in immigrants when we needed them and we turned them away when we didn't. But, you know, anyhow, we rebranded and now we're the multicultural society. We're the progressive society. We've been telling ourselves that story 
for the last uh, 40 years or so. And now we've uh, fooled you into believing it too. Right. We've got a new we got a new Trudeau and he's a, he's a really good poster boy for it, but it, it, it just ain't so. He is a great poster boy for it. I mean, everyone is obsessed with him, I think, because he's like a cool dude, right? But how is he viewed, um, or he seems like he's a cool dude. Um, how is he He's viewed? not a cool dude. He's not a cool dude? I mean, I don't... he's a pretty dude. He's a really he's a really good looking. I mean, I go into the same he university has a tattoo. as him. And, and he has, okay, have you ever met like a rich white guy with a native tattoo who's a cool dude? Uh, That's impossible. Okay. He used to rollerblade into class at the university that he and I both <laughs> I, went to. He's not cool. He was like, a, you know, he's, he's got nice hair. <laughs> so what do you, you know, we, we obviously here in in um, uh, the U.S. have a particular view of Canada. If we think of Canada, we have this notion of it. What do you think we're getting wrong about your country? I mean, kind of everything. I mean, <laughs> like, look, I think that the operative word in your question is if we think about Canada. I, I don't really know that Americans need to think about Canada or that you should think about us. I mean, Canadians get very, very upset that, you, that we know so much about you, but you know very little about us. I don't know why you would know more about us. We're, you are much more important to us than we are to you. I, I can accept that. It seems that when Americans think about Canada, it's not that they're thinking about Canada, it's that they're using Canada. They're using it as a rhetorical device. Mm -hmm. And the left and the right does this. They, the left will say, look at Canada. They have same-sex marriage. They have legalized marijuana. Uh, they're welcoming refugees. They have universal health care. Why can't we have that? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and in each of those things, though I appreciate why Americans need a positive role model, if you dig a little bit into it, the truth is not exactly so. We're, you know, I, I think that Canadians need to grow up and, and stop letting ourselves be used as the rhetorical tool mm -hmm. uh, of Americans on either side, mm -hmm. even when we like it. Because sometimes we like it. I mean, that's sort of, sure. like, we can't build a national identity based on the fact that our next door neighbor <laughs> is crazier than us. So in addition to the podcast, the, the suite of podcasts that Canada Land has, you also recently published a book, The Canada Land Guide to Canada, um, featuring on the cover uh, a, a lovely image of Drake nuzzling a moose. Um, can you tell us what the book is about? The book is a a lot of what I've been talking about here. It's it's a book of humor and satire. It's sort of in the tradition of John Stewart Daily Show's book about America. But it's a rude book about a polite country. It's essentially uh, our attempt to deflate and pop the myth of Canada at every turn, be it looking at the founding father of Canada, Johnny McDonald, who was a blackout, raging alcoholic, homicidal maniac who starved uh, indigenous people in the plains to make room for his railroad, mm -hmm. mass murderer who gets taught in a very different way in our in our public schools, uh, to contemporary life in Canada, how we tricked people to move here, right. <laughs> how we built this country, and, and what we are really and where we're going. And uh, we, we, we wanted to write something that was sort of um, sarcastic with tongue-in-cheek, but in fact, we ended up just filling the book with facts. Well, I uh, I read it and I learned a number of fun facts um, that Canadians produce a massive amount of drugs, um, like more than just weed, like tons of drugs, and that um, a Canadian invented um, the plastic trash bag, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. also that the province of Alberta is the only place in the world that apparently is rat-free, and there's a rat hotline there if you spot a rat, all of which were totally entertaining um, facts, but like those will stick in my brain now, and I will use them at parties. Like when somebody yeah, complains right. about, it's... like, oh, a rat. Like I just saw a rat, and I'm like, you know, there's one place in the world that you could live if you didn't want to see a rat: Alberta, Canada. 
<laughs> I am glad I have just made you the most interesting person at the dinner party. You're I welcome. wasn't already. I am yeah, now. No, uh, no, I'm, I'm of course. But. <laughs> but what do you want? You know, what do you want the average reader to take away? There's no holy cause here. We were trying to make a funny book that told the truth uh, because nobody had done it before. All of this stuff we found out, you know, usually when people write books about Canada, it's to glorify Canada or it's to cheerlead for Canada. So we just thought there was an amazing creative opportunity here to write something really funny that would really surprise and, and by accident inform people. But, you know, for my purpose as somebody who actually kind of likes living in Canada, I feel like we're not going to get anywhere if we keep comparing ourselves against you. We actually have to own up to our own problems. And to people outside of the country, uh, it's actually interesting. I mean, what makes America interesting is not how great America is. It's the conflict that makes things interesting. So so Canada actually isn't boring. It's fascinating uh, mm-hmm. if you actually, you know, are interested in the history of, you know, racism and plundering and and, and everything else that it's built on. Jesse Brown is the founder and host of Canada Land. To learn more about what they're up to, check out biglisten.org. Well, it's time for another super quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk to our favorite Canadian-American crossover, besides Drake and Justin Bieber, of course, about using his Canadianness to his advantage. The things that were sort of odd or, you know, a little off about me, I had the safety net of being from Canada. So everyone would just say, oh, he's from Canada. So that's, you know, that's why he's that way. That's coming up in a GIF. Stay tuned. This is NPR. Hi, I'm Mindy Thomas, co-host of NPR's Wow in the World, NPR's first podcast for kids. Every week, my buddy Guy Raz and I take wild adventures into the coolest new scientific discoveries, and we want to invite you to come along for the ride. Find Wow in the World on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is John Larkin. I am calling from Madison, New Jersey. I would like to recommend The Four Top, a James Beard award-winning program covering contemporary developments in the food and beverage industries. Now for our first course. We are suddenly experiencing an altered state of reality in which it's legal to purchase and consume marijuana in many states, which has many cooks asking how they can bring cannabis into the kitchen as an aromatic ingredient. Each bi-weekly episode features three appetizing courses and a dessert du jour shared by three guests and their charismatic hosts as they explore the world at the crossroads of food and culture at the foretop. Tune in, but please don't forget to leave a tip. Thank you. Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and sounds like John from New Jersey's got it bad for that podcast. Well, if you have a crush on a show, let us know about it. Call the pod line at 202-885-POD1 and proclaim your love. Speaking of love, this episode, we're spotlighting some amazing podcasts made in Canada by Canadians. But we don't want to forget the secret Canadians living and working among us here in the U.S. People like my colleague, Sasha Ann Simons. Hey, Sasha Ann. Hi, Lauren. A few years ago, Sasha Ann bravely left her home in Toronto to come and work down here. I did. Um, I wanted to see what that world was like. (laughs) (laughs) 
that foreign, foreign I land. I wanted to hop over the fence and be like, hi, guys. <laughs> okay, no, don't say that you hopped over a fence. Oh, oh right. I can't. Not in this day no. and age. Yeah. But Sasha Ann didn't start off life as a Canadian. She moved from Jamaica to Canada when she was a kid. Then as an adult, she got a job in the U.S. So she packed up her family and headed to America. In that way, she's like a lot of her fellow Canadians. What I am wondering is why so many of your countrymen and women, your country people, why do they come to the U.S.? Yeah, honestly, it's always been positioned that like America was just this promised land, like just everything else just seemed better here. We're so saturated with American stuff in Canada. Like you turn the TV on like ABC, CBS, all the different networks. We have them all. They're all like, you know, in the lower channel. So even if you don't have cable, you'll have American TV. Like it's the weirdest thing. And so like we see the culture and we, you know, we want a taste of it. These are things that we've come to know. So I wonder how Canadians feel about all of their fancy folk coming to the U.S. The obvious ones, Drake and Bieber. Yeah. But there are so many others. Michael J. Fox. Deborah Cox. Right. Tamia. Pamela Anderson. Jason Priestley. (laughs) Jason Priestley. The Ryans. The Ryans. Gosling. Oh, God. Sorry. You didn't know that? No, I know, but I didn't. I forgot. Ryan Gosling. Okay, redeem yourself because that's a big deal. Sorry, I know. Wait, who's the other? Oh, Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. Celine Dion. How did we forget Celine Dion? And then Sasha Ann couldn't help herself. My heart will <laughs> go on. Oh my God, she's here in the studio. <laughs> my heart will go on From one Canadian American to another, you may know Jonathan Goldstein from his work on This American Life or the CBC show he created called Wiretap. These days, Jonathan is living and working in New York, where he hosts the podcast Heavyweight. Yeah. From Gimlet Media, this is Jonathan Goldstein, your old pal. (laughs) Is Is that what it's called? Gimlet? Gimlet Media? Do you know what my new podcast is about? No, I don't know anything about it. Each week, I travel into people's pasts to help them repair something that's been troubling them. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sort of like a therapist. Like a therapist. So... (laughs) Jonathan Goldstein, welcome to The Big Listen. uh, I feel like such a a mincing, uh, mealy-mouthed... Uh, yeah, good to be here. <laughs> I no, I feel like that's appropriate because I feel like it's in keeping with the. Uh... It's on brand. <laughs> yeah, we just. I think it's perfect in its in its way. <laughs> so, um, so you are sort of, I, I guess not sort of. You are a Canadian American hybrid, correct? Yeah, I mean, but I'm totally. I have the Canadian bona fides. Yeah, I became a Canadian citizen. I moved to Canada when I was four. And I became a citizen officially, I think, when I was about 19. Do you feel more connected to one of those identities than the other? I guess Canadian. Yeah. You know, I used to work at This American Life. Mm-hmm. And when I first showed up, the things that were sort of odd or, you know, a little off about me, um, I had the safety net of ha- of being from Canada. You know, so everyone <laughs> would just say, oh, he's from Canada. So that's, you know, that's why he's that way. And whereas in Canada, I didn't have that safety net, you know. So I think I was just weird. 
there's something that made whatever was Canadian about me or whether or whatever is just me about me come into sharper relief somehow. Years ago, living in Canada, Jonathan Goldstein had a job selling the Montreal Gazette newspaper over the telephone. It was the normal kind of plan B that most of us have had at one point or another. And when he took the job, he did not realize that it would become a 10-year chapter in his life. All during the time I was working at the Gazette, I found it nearly impossible to bring myself to tell anyone I was a telemarketer. When people asked what it was I did for a living, I'd simply say that I was a salesman. And when they asked what it was that I sold, I would say dreams. And then I would look at them for a moment, quizzically. Then I would say that I was only joking. And then they would say, oh. And I would become uncomfortable. And then they would become uncomfortable. Then they would stop asking me anything. Let's talk a little bit about Heavyweight, which is your your newest project where you're sort of helping people go back in time to resolve these these previously unresolved issues. And there is some crossover to Wiretap, at least there are some familiar characters, right? Yes. Yeah. Is yeah. it an evolution of, of your previous show? Is, or is it an iteration of, you know, or an extension of it? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it feels as though it shares the same sensibility and the same universe and like you were saying, the same people mm-hmm. who populated the universe of Wiretap. And the, the I mean, the, the obvious difference is that these stories are nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that I keep thinking of, and it's probably a dumb analogy, but that, you know, I, I've always thought of like Wiretap as being kind of like the Muppet Show. Like there's the show... But then there's the there's the behind the scenes, right. you know, like where you know uh, Kermit the Frog is knocking on Burt Reynolds' door and saying, you know, <laughs> ten more minutes to showtime, Mr. Reynolds. Zero Mostel, twenty five seconds, stand by, Mr. Mostel. Hey, Fozzie, where's Mr. Mostel? Oh, he's in his dressing room eating. I'm not in my dressing room eating. I'm in my dressing room being eaten. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a lot of that, you know, like they're on, on wiretap. Howard, what, what are you doing? Yeah, I'll be right back. Howard, you, we're in the middle of doing a radio show. You can't get up right now. I'm just going to take a little tour of the kitchen. Howard, Helen's going to field the questions. Howard! What's the big deal? Okay, well, I might as well take this opportunity to remind our listeners that wiretap is being broadcast live from Hazar's Deli today. And owner Sammy Wolcheski would like you to know that the matzo ball soup is hey, always fresh doing, and always on tap. Hey, things in here. No, I just want to give my compliments to the chef. Oh, it sounds like Howard must have forgot to turn off his lapel mic. So delicious. I can't stop myself. Uh, to extend that analogy um, and possibly to extend the ridiculousness, um, when I was a kid and I went to see the um, the Muppets movie, I remember that thrill of that opening scene where you see Kermit the Frog on a bicycle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and it's like you see his legs and it just got such big laughs out of the kids <laughs> because he's like this real character in the world who can ride a bicycle. And I think that's kind of like what's happening with heavyweight. All of a sudden mm-hmm. these people have legs, they're in the world, they're, um, they're more dimensional. I, you know, I, I, as I've been listening to heavyweight, a lot of the characters are Canadian and, and we, I think in the U.S. we think of, Canadians as being sort of polite and and reserved. And I wonder if you think that um, those sort of qualities then are responsible for add to the, you know, to the regret that is sort of pushing these stories forward or the reason why, you know, 
you're interested in them in the first place. Like they didn't want to do the initial thing because they felt bad or embarrassed or sort of any other distinctly Canadian feel, or maybe that's a reach. No, wow. I that I think that's a really nice thought. I, I never thought of it that way. Um, I'm trying to think if there's one in particular that kind of illustrates that. I think maybe the one with uh, my two friends, my two Canadian friends, James and Howard, um, where uh, the premise of the story is how James was tasked with um, sprinkle, getting rid of his father's ashes. Right. His father had asked him to sprinkle the ashes on the 18th hole of his favorite golf course. <laughs> The objective? Infiltrate Douglas's fancy old golf course and scatter the ashes. The obstacles? Septuagenarian narcs with prying eyes. Not to mention the fact that scattering earthly remains is against the law. For this to work, we need the right team. James was the key man, our entry point into the operation. And I was the bank, bankrolling the green for expenditures. All that was missing was a front man. We needed a person of quick wit. Look at that, right off the bat. Bat, cat, sat, fat. Someone cool under pressure. What's that on my arm? We needed... Oh, that's arm hair. Howard. And I think, and this is bundled into that story, is like there's a timidity um, among all of us about actually going to a golf course and like littering and doing <laughs> something that was against the law. And, you know what I mean? And it became, it made it so much more complicated. Whereas like, if there wasn't those qualities at play those you know if we want to call them canadian there would have been no story we would just show up right. dump the ashes and it would have you know the whole thing would have right. taken 20 seconds right. but right. instead there was so much deliberating and so much like oh the hand uh, ringing was, i could hear the hand ringing from like through my you know my headphones and that's that's comedy in a way like yeah. you, you know what i mean that's 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 how as you start like untangling all of those mental knots that's where the comedy comes from yeah yeah so um do you get a chance to listen to anything? Do you have time or or you're too busy, um, you know, solving other people's uh, issues? Yeah, I have been. And I've also, I have to say, I've gotten sucked into the, to the New York Times Daily Show. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. It has become like a go-to on my walk to work. Mm-hmm. And of course there was, I mean, S-Town, which I just feel like was a huge... Just just masterful work and mm-hmm. game changer in many ways. Something's happened. Something has absolutely happened in this town. Have you ever heard of the David Feldman show? No. Yeah, it's like a long form uh, politics and comedy. Yesterday, Bill Cosby announced a series of town hall meetings to educate young athletes and married men on how to avoid accusations of sexual assault. Hey, Bill, here's one way to avoid accusations of sexual assault. Don't rape anyone. I'm David Feldman. We have a lot of shows, so let's get right to it. I just started listening to Mogul. Oh, yeah. Mogul is a story of love, death, ambition, multi-million dollar deals, multi-million dollar losses, and dope beats. But most of all, it's the story of a man named Chris Lighty. Chris Lighty's story is the story of hip-hop in one person. I also started listening to a new thing from Radiotopia called Ear Hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes out of San Quentin. You really think people want to know what it's like in prison? Hell yeah, hey, of course. Do. You got all these TV shows, new programs, like uh, Prison Break. Orange is the new black, locked up. You won't let me Man, You know all the shows. But they all f- though. 
Why? Is it be- ain't none of them serving time. They ain't never did no real time. They acting. Yeah, and, and prison ain't really like that. It, it's so pure and kind of like reminds you of like the public radio mission, you know, to bring you yeah. voices and, and, and cultures that you just don't normally have access to. And uh, and it's it's just it's it's really good. Well, I so appreciate your time, Jonathan, and thank you so much for sharing your Canadianness with us for a little bit. That's one way to put it. Thank, thank you for <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Jonathan Goldstein is the host of Heavyweight from Gimlet Media. To find out more about his show or any of the shows he recommended, hit up biglisten.org. It's got the details. Well, we've almost reached the end of this week's episode. Oh, no. But before we let you go, it's time for Chartography. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And let me remind you, 289 is a great number because there are like a bajillion podcasts out there. So this week's 289 is the Keto Diet Podcast with Leanne Vogel. Hey, girls. What's going on? She lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is appropriate for our episode. And seriously, that was a total happy accident. So you might be wondering what the keto diet is. I was wondering that myself. What's keto? Keto is a low-carb, high-fat diet where we're switching from a sugar-burning state to becoming fat-burning machines. Because I definitely don't do any kind of diet except the all-ice cream diet. Pumping me with Oreos. And apparently it is the high-fat, low-carb diet that basically triggers your body into a state of ketosis whereby your body just burns fat. Healing your body with fat. According to the guests of this show, it's basically like a miracle cure. We can talk about everything under the sun. Because all of them had like major issues um, like uh, adrenal dysfunction, low thyroid function, ADHD. Somebody had leaky gut, which I don't know what that is. Somebody else was amenorrheic, like her period didn't come for a while. Yeah, happened to period. It's so Uh great. (laughs) So apparently... Um, getting on this diet uh, has helped all of them. The fat-burning female project. I'm not entirely certain the science behind that because um, I'm not a doctor. And I was blown away. Anyway, if you are interested in a different kind of diet. Mind-building foods. And yes. that is fat. You get to eat a lot of fats, although no grains. It's like no grains at all. So if you like your morning cereal. Instead of that, like make a keto milkshake. This is not the podcast for you. Want to listen to the Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. Just go to Apple Podcasts or NPR One or any fine purveyor podcast and hit subscribe. And then we'll be splashing into your feed every week automatically. Also, check us out on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Here Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R Big Listen. And if you want to send us any leaked eyes-only documents, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston, Daisy Rosario, Ponzi Rutch, and David Schulman, who also composed the theme music. I, Lauren Ober, was perfecting my Canadian accent. Eh? Sorry. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> that is, like, legit a sorry. Um, 
The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man, J.J. Yore, and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America, which was also the ancestral home of the Piscataway peoples. And now a few final thoughts from Ryan McMahon, the Anishinaabe founder of the Indian and Cowboy Podcast Network, about the future of indigenous media making. I hope Indian and Cowboy is is a vibrant, forward-looking indigenous media company that builds strong partnerships with people like Radiolab Mm -hmm. and Roman Mars. I'm just dropping these names because it's NPR and I think people will get it. Basically, Ryan just wants more visibility for Native people and the media they make. We have lived here for thousands of years and we understand this place. And if our countries were to celebrate that just a little bit, truly celebrate it, the original inhabitants of this land, what a place it would be. Indeed, what a place it would be. Thanks for listening, pals. Till next time. Nahao boju nindinawe maganaduk. Gana mushum wab makwan dijnakaz makwan do dem kuchching in donji. Nahao chi nishin. Daba jimwanan a nini. Anishinabe enini. Nahao miigwech. This is NPR.